That's a true story. True story. And you don't even know all the times I've tried to do the Facebook little media moments or whatever, and, and I have to start. It was so bad that Mary Beth and, and uh, Missy would have to leave the foyer. I couldn't even, I just couldn't do it. And uh, you think, as much as you, I'm up here, and as, if you were up here, you would think it would be no big deal, but it was. It was huge. Um, The imperfections and the inability that we have in ourselves is, is so, I guess you say, daunting because it's so legitimate because nobody's perfect. I don't care how polished you may seem on the outside, on the inside, there's things that's imperfected. And um, I want to talk to you today about nobody's perfect. And uh, before I start talking about that, I'm going to change the subject for just a minute. Mary Beth... You did a great job. She just knew she was going to find, she found out she was going to do announcements just this morning. She goes, oh my goodness, so she's overwhelmed. But what she brought up about the um, small groups, we're going to start them in a couple of weeks because of, for some reasons. If you're interested in hosting a small group, she did a great job explaining to you what it takes. It doesn't mean you're perfect. I feel like all of us come to church and we put on our happy faces and, and we think that uh, everything's Every make everybody else think that everything is just great and wonderful and we don't have any problems. We go through life and we just smile, we just shrug it off or we just pray about it or we just begin to pray in the spirit about it or for whatever reason. Or we pick up the Bible and we just look at it. She made reference to this. We just pick up the Bible and God says, go to this page. And you find your answer. It's not the case. It's not reality in anybody's life. It's not in our life. If... I had seen this stinking video here of somebody else. I might have thought, man, there's nobody that can't get up there and it, just come on. Give me a break. <sighs> it was pretty bad. <clears throat> but next, Wednesday, next Sunday night at 6 o'clock, I'm going to meet everybody here at the church. If you want to host a small group, I'm going to give you instructions, tell you what you're doing, what you don't have to do. You just got to have the right heart to do it. It's about being a servant. And we've had, we did a trial run of small groups back uh, over a month ago just to kind of get the feel for different people. Some people loved it. Some people didn't love it. And uh, hopefully you will love it. And uh, then we'll have sign-ups up on the, uh, the uh, Connect desk out here in the foyer, as she said, uh, next, the following week for all the groups. And then we'll have our first class that night. So you'll get to sign up for classes that you want to go to. If you want to come here, it might be at some people's home. It might be in a foyer. It might be somewhere else. But it will be available to you. Um, I want to also mention something. You know, we take, for church, we take this church for granted a lot just because it's always here or just maybe, maybe we grew up in this church or whatever. But this is not talking about the pastor. This is talking about you all as a body. Every place that I go, people from, hi, Nikki, I feel, uh, every place that I go in other towns, that I, I get around district leaders and, and just other pastors, and, and uh, there's pastors that want to come, uh, come and just see our church in, from Rolla and different places. It's all about you all have made the body of this church so functional and so real and so powerful. Um, the church building itself, the structure, I, I never really think about it being big or it being nice or it being accommodating. 
but they go on these tours and they do the district church and they go to St. Louis and they go to Kansas City, go to Springfield and go all these places in Columbia. They, they tell me that our, our facility is, is by far the most, the most uh, handy or the nicest and the most accommodating of, of all the facilities. And then on top of that, they say, your people are so accommodating. Everybody helps us unload, pack it up, take it charge, and they do things. And then they say, your worship team, your worship team, it volunteers all the time. I mean, they're all the time doing something for a special service here at the church. That has to do with the body. It's not the pastor. And people look at me and, and up there, they say, man, Dwight, how'd you get such a great church or whatever? It's, it's not that. It's about how this body has grown to be something great. It's not perfect, but it is great. And we can be great without being perfect. Did you know that? And you need to realize that you can be great without being perfect. You don't have to have all the things in your life. Uh, everything in your life has to be in, it don't have to be in tow behind you, perfect and single file. There'll be some things straight out from side to side. But, but you have to be committed to get to that place of trying to reach perfection. Also, so about the message, uh, nobody's perfect. This is going to be a shock to some of you. Some of you parents are not perfect. Some of us have realized we were perfect a long time ago, but a whole lot of you parents are perfect. And kids, can you say amen? That wasn't too bad. Parents, your kids aren't perfect either. <laughs> they aren't. They have flaws, they mess up, they do things that, that you think, is that our kid? How many times do, do, did my wife and I look at each other and we watched Leighton or Tyson or Landon? Did, did get... We'll get to that in just a moment. Does Christianity mean sudden perfection? But for some reason, we feel like that if somebody can just come to church and get saved, everything in their life will work out. Everything can just be perfect. And it's the farthest thing from the truth. And it, just, it, it, it confuses a lot of people. And they think, well, I'm, I'm going to church, you know, maybe they're not serving the Lord yet, but I'm going to church, I expect to see change. Some of us who've been to church for a long time think that because of our perfected, perfected attendance or our perfected uh, following after the Lord for many years has caused us to be perfect. And that is the farthest thing from the, from the truth, too. How does society view Christians? Do they look at us as perfect? Well, leave it alone. No, they do not. Anything but perfect. Christians never have struggles anymore. Yes, they do. Uh, if you're ever in a group of, of, of you've got a group of believers and you're, you're uh, let's say you have a small group, you start attending, you've never been to anything like that, and you, and you start going, and you go there and you, and you hear all these great words from these people, that, uh, things they're talking about and discussion, you think, man. And you go back home and you think, man, my life is terrible. I can never think like that. Every one of those people you just heard were talking from experience of the good. And they were ex uh, explaining uh, what they had experienced that was so good. But th that doesn't mean everything in their life is, is tranquil and everything is peaceful. Because I, there is nobody in here that their life is that way. So stop thinking that it, it happens to everybody else, but it doesn't happen in your life. 
There's a lot of people have been hindered in their walk with God and believe in God because they have hinders they have hindrances in their life and they think that they should walk in perfection. Stop. Stop. Just because you have a disagreement with your parents doesn't mean they're right or they're wrong. I want to go to the book of Job, if you would. Job chapter 1 and verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou, hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, and one that feareth God and escheweth evil. There is something unique about Job. What was so unique about Job? It says that he was perfect. What does it mean, Perfect. Does it mean he, everywhere he went, he walked a straight line? And, and he probably did. But what, what made him perfect? A lot of things do. One, would you say I'm perfect? Close? Nope. Okay. Uh, but perfection is not to be attained, but God called him perfect. There was something about Job that set him apart from everyone else. Something that set him apart. He was different than the others. He was his respect, and he lived a life of respect to the Lord. Remember, respect is respect is given. It's what? It's not earned. You may argue with that, but you you can you can respect people. Or you can choose not to respect them. But his respect is for the Lord. His way of living set him apart. It was so obvious that it set him apart that God took notice. And God began to watch. His, and God did an expanse that he is. And he looked down at this, this little person named Job. And he started paying special attention. And he had a little bit of confidence in Job. And Job didn't fail him. But he had flaws. You know, you don't see the flaws until hardship comes. It doesn't mean sin. It doesn't mean that people are falling away. But you don't see flaws in people's life. And you don't see them in your own life until you begin to have hardships. And how you deal with the things that you're going through. Why don't you go back up in verse 5 if you would. And it was so that when the days of their feasting were gone, were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the, the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and have cursed God during their, in their hearts. And thus Job did continually. He thought by doing this, he was bringing their, his kids back into a place of repentance or good standing with God. So in other words, he was constantly worried about the things his kids were doing. And he's a good parent. Most parents do. But there's one thing about it. I cannot put good living into the lives of my kids. They have to choose that while, they're a bit, while they have the ability to make the decision. So here's Job. We have a great guy that he is, and, and God thought a lot of him. But he was human. He was human. This is one factor that we always have to deal with. I want everybody to listen. 
you will always be human. You will be. You have to deal with that humanity in a a sensible way. Is there room for improvement? You better believe it. Lots of room for improvement. But but the more we grow and consistently grow, the more we become Christ-like. In Job chapter 38... Job chapter 30, verse 1 through 3. There were things that that Job's heartache and what he lost and all this, it really revealed to himself what he needed from God as God confronts him. Verse 1, then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, "Who who Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up thy loins now like a man, for I will demand of you an answer. Me. There's things about you don't really know what you are until you are absolutely caught on the carpet. And every one of us one day, listen, every one of us someday will be in God's presence for the first time or the thousandth time. And He will call us on the carpet and He will speak to us and He'll say, You got to gird up your loins, pull up your britches, because there's something I got to say to you. I don't care how good we've been. I don't care how good Job was. He was a unique man. God had all the confidence in the world upon him. But he still had flaws. You may think by the time you're my age, you're a lot older, everything's kind of done, you're kind of finished, you've you've set your life in in, uh, the way it's going to go. But there's things on the inside that nobody sees since you're stuck in a situation like Job was. I don't care who you are in here. I like your attention for just a minute. Uh, if you've been a Christian for a lot of years, every one of us, it's not, I'm not trying to bust your bubble or hurt your feelings or, get, or make you mad at me, but all of us think a little highly, a little bit higher of ourselves than we probably should. We begin to think, well, I would never do that. And we compare ourselves among ourselves, and we know that those people aren't wise. And so you start comparing yourself. You think, well, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm living holy. I'm, and the Lord speaks to me. Our way of life is a self-righteous living. The way we live can create a, a self-elevating way of th- a mentality or way of thinking. I know... Um, There's a certain group of people that I used to go to restaurants after church on Sunday night, and and I would go in, and and, uh, and they would look at me and look away, or they would have anything to do with me. They were Christian people, and I always felt like, well, what is it? More holy than me? Is is it where they go to church that makes them more holy? What's going on here? But that is when you fall into a a trap of, of, of elevating yourself spiritually. But let me tell you something about Job. He actually became more perfect when he saw how unholy he was. If you ever have any questions about the life of Job and you wonder what happened, read chapter 38, 39, 40. Those chapters begin to reveal the heart of a man that no one else no one else seen. But it show you what you really are. Because nobody, nobody, thank you. Nobody, I have one person, nobody's perfect. Now, some of you young guys, you, 
you married to these young women, and you think, she's perfect, man. She's perfect. She's perfect. Some of us, some of us have been married a long time. People ask for how our wife is, and she's perfect. She's perfect. We do that for protection, all right? Because <laughs> anything we say will be used against us, and they can always recall it. I don't care how old they get. They recall way back when. Leave that alone. Okay. How does your uh, two-year-old act? How does, no, don't say perfect. Uh, if you have a two-year-old right here and, and you want them to do something, they absolutely probably won't do it to do the opposite. Or uh, you tell them to do something, they'll put their finger in their mouth and, and debate it or whatever. But what about a four-year-old? Do they begin to think a little differently? Yeah, they do. They begin to think a little differently. What about six-year-old when they get into uh, first grade, kindergarten, first grade? Are they starting to think a little differently? Yeah, they're great. They're annoying. They're great. Uh, how about 12 years old? I heard, oh, Lordy. I don't know what that means, but I know what that means. When they're 12 years old, they begin to think that they are, you know, they kind of got it together. They're, they're learning stuff, and so they're more advanced than maybe the parents are. What about 16-year-old? A 16-year-old, they think, don't they? How many of us think that we know everything? Hey, we don't know everything, but we think we know a lot. Then an 18-year-old, let me tell you, all of, listen to me, all of those people act exactly like a 2-year-old, a 4-year-old, a 6-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 16-year-old, an 18-year-old. They, they, they're no different than anybody else's. You may have a few more problems or a few more issues in there, but they always think like a 16-year-old. Instead of getting frustrated, uh, Tyson may get mad at me, and I don't care, you can forgive me later. Uh, when he was turned 16, I said, don't take this vehicle off-roading. He had a Jeep Cherokee. I said, don't take it off-roading. And he said, well, I'm going to go over to Bricks or somewhere over on Bluff. I said, don't get out in that mud stuff. Don't, don't do it. He goes, all right. Later that day, I got a phone call. His truck had tore the transmission out of it, of the Jeep. Now, I may mess this story up a little bit, and you can correct me later, Tyson. But the thing is, he's 16. It didn't make it any easier on the pocketbook. It didn't make it any more fun to go get it or whatever happened. I don't remember now. But he done something a 16-year-old would do. He was not perfect. He had to learn. It didn't cost him out of his pocket anything. So he had to learn. And the Lord, I've said this in a, on Wednesday night a couple weeks ago. In Psalms 104, God said he, lo- he knows that we are but human. We, humans are subject to air, some just subject to air, and a lot of others, a lot more prominent errors are going to be in their life. But he knows that. If, God th- if you think that God looks at you and he expects you to walk in perfection, he does not. He would like it, but he knows it's not attainable. Job, Moses, Ezekiel, Daniel, David, all these people have flaws in life. And they didn't walk in perfection. And some people think because, well, you know, I messed up a couple times, you know, I, I got to quit. Let me tell you, you'll become and work, you'll work into your perfection as you go. But don't quit. 
One of the biggest problems that people have in their life and their journey with Christ is on the way, they begin to see a hiccup here and there. And so then they quit. And then they go and they live the way that somebody does has no faith. What is the reason for people's actions at these ages? Because of their age or the lack of experience, their maturity, their environment. They act their age regardless of what they are. They react their age. Now, some of you say, well, I was the exception. You might have been, but you would be a rarity. You're not a smart mouth 12-year-old or a smart mouth 16-year-old because I, there's not many smart mouth 12 or 16-year-olds There's not many people that have not been that way. Just leave it alone. Okay. Um, go to Matthew chapter 4. Those of you who have kids who are, uh, are, are growing up or coming up in elementary school, junior high and high school, They're not perfect, and uh, it would be a lot easier if they acted perfect, if they would do everything we said like a perfect child would. Um, Abby, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to brag on you a little bit. Um, for several weeks, mom and dad were gone out of town and stuff. She was still coming to church on Sunday, and I, I'm so impressed with that, and I told you, didn't I? Stand up, Abby. I want everybody to look at Abby. This is the most perfect teenager who's ever walk upon the earth. I mean, I, Allie, I mean, I, imperfection right here. Would you say she's the most perfect teenager, Tony? Okay. But there's little things, even though she's imperfect and she has an attitude sometimes, a little bit rebellious or whatever thinking, or just maybe she's sloppy and her room is just ter terrible, terrible. But there's glimmers of hope. Try to find those. There's glimmers of hope. She's coming here even with nobody else even coming with her. And that was a positive thing. That was not planned. So I'll pay you. You can pay me later, Allie. Okay. Um. Matthew chapter 48, chapter 5, verse 48 says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is it perfect. Then why would Jesus, if it was not attainable, why would Jesus tell us to try to attain perfection? Doesn't he know that would absolutely drive us crazy? Doesn't he know that? Why would he tell us to be per perfect? You got to have something to shoot for. Something to live for. Read verse 43 through 46, and this will explain what perfection is in man. You've heard it, you have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be children of your Father which is in heaven. Remember, just a second ago, in verse 48, he says, be perfect as your, who is perfect? 
Father in heaven is perfect. That his name may rise on the evil and on the good. And send its rain upon the just and the unjust. For if you love them that love you, what reward have you? Even the publicans do the same. Verse 48 again. But, but be ye therefore perfect as your Father, which is in the heaven perfect. There's things that we do on earth bring a perfection about us. It does. Perfection means to attain a mature way of acting, mature thinking, behavior which reflects holy understanding. There's little things that you used to would have done, but and you may do it soon. If you're a Christian, you're a new Christian, maybe you would still do some things you shouldn't do. But over a period of time, those things are going to become unimportant to you or the Holy Spirit's going to shake your heart and say, you don't need to do that anymore. I've told this story so many times, but it bears repeating. Robert Dudley was a guy I used to work with and uh, one of the greatest preachers I've ever heard in my life, and I've heard a lot of preachers. Robert wasn't perfect, not even close. He wasn't raised in church. He's never in church, but... One Sunday, he woke up the night before. They had a big party at their house, and everybody was drunk, and everybody had been high, and there's people passed out all over the place. And he woke up that morning with the strangest thought. And the Lord said, I want you to go to church at this person's church up in Fredericktown. He lived up in Whitewater area. He said, he was rolling a joint. He's in the bathroom rolling a joint. He said, well, go to church. Why would I go to church? Go to church. And he probably finished her on his joint, probably smoked it, smoked it. He won't walk his wife up wherever she was at, maybe in the bedroom, I guess. And he goes, get up, we're going to go to church. And it was so contrary, so totally opposite than of everything else in his whole life. And we woke her up and he said, let's go to church. She said, what? She thought he was messed up or something, you know, just for his response. And so she got up, she got ready, and they went to church. He went to a little church, a little assembly guy church up in Fredericktown. And he went into church, probably still high a little bit. And the pastor started giving an altar call. And he said all he remembers is getting up and he was running. To, he was running to that altar. He didn't even know what it was. He didn't know what he needed, but he knew he needed something. He ran to the altar man he gave his heart to the Lord he didn't know all that was going on in his life and they didn't know anything about him they didn't know him he gave his heart to the Lord and he, he surrendered everything to the Lord and man God was going to do a great work in his life and went home and he was excited he was on fire and telling people about Christ and what he'd done in his life and, and, and one day it was about two weeks later he was still smoking his weed and he said I was rolling another joint I guess he had a place in the bathroom he rolled his joints because he's in there again and the Lord said Robert he said, yeah. He said, I've got something more for you than this. No more weed? No more weed. He goes, all right. So he threw it down the toilet, threw all his papers, threw all the stuff, and he flushed it down the toilet, and he got rid of it. It was a couple weeks later that the Lord even dealt with him about it. So he smoked weed for two weeks. And some of us, we 
gasp for our, or gasp for breath because something as bad as that. After he knew and he heard God speak to him, never again was weed an issue in his life. Throughout many years, he, he did a huge jail ministry in Cape County. Probably, literally hundreds of guys came to the Lord because of Robert Dudley's ministry. But was he perfect? Man, no, he wasn't. But he loved Jesus. And a lot of people love Jesus in spite of imperfections. I'm not just to find little things wrong or attitudes that are wrong or tempers that are wrong or things you say might be wrong. But there is something that can, can totally change a person's life when they fall in love with Jesus. You come to this church this morning for we'll tell them what kind of reasons and what type of expectations. But don't ever come expecting everybody to be perfect. We are imperfect just like you are. I'm going to close with I'll close with a scripture in Philippians. My wife, uh, some on Facebook, I don't know, something type of thing came up and it was a filter on her phone and I always think of a filter like a fuel filter like I like I love to put on my Dodge on my, on my Ford truck you know fuel, fuel filter or something but it wasn't that kind of a filter it was a filter that you can look at yourself she goes why can't we look she goes man I wish I looked like that showed a filter of herself probably two years ago you know when all the you know imperfections or whatever she goes just you put it on me let me try it out about the same, but we try to camouflage ourselves. We put a filter on everything about us. Now, now it's normal a little bit. It is normal. Don't think that it's not. When you're with, I'm a family, I'm at home, I'm going to wear a natural shirt, no shorts or whatever, and I come here, I'm not going to wear that. And kids may get on my nerves or want to me get on my nerves which she never does but if she did I would say would you leave me alone would you be quiet would you just shut up please you wouldn't see as, as camouflage and a filtered Dwight as you see here people try to camouflage themselves they put on filters for people to see the grandest image that we can portray but no one it's perfect. We all have a sin nature. We can have an image of purity. Philippians 3, verse 12 through 14. Not as though I had already attained, either was already or were already perfect, but I'll follow after it. I'm a happy may not be perfect but there's a way to get after that perfection you may never attain it it's always a little bit out of grasp but you can try to, to pursue it 
things I don't, I don't claim to have it. One thing I do, I go after it. And people see you go after what is perfect, what is holy, what is just, what is right. Simply by the way we live. We can portray holiness, and we can. And I'm not talking about fake portraying. I'm not talking about living a lie. But there's things that we can do with our life and how we live that other people can say, without a doubt, that person inspires me to be more like Christ. Because that person is trying to be like not like anybody else, no other preacher. But they're trying to be like Christ. And I have a desire to do better in my life. I had somebody share me share with me in the church yesterday, and he said, you know. Uh, this guy was talking about somebody in his family, how big and tough he was. And he goes, well, let me ask you, is that what you want in life? You want to be tougher than everybody else? You want to be able to beat everybody up? But begin to look at other people that succeeded in life. Or do you want to be more like that? And we're like this. And, uh, and he started thinking. His thinking had to change because it idolized the wrong things. And he began to, he began to talk to him about looking at people and patterning yourself and, and trying to become more like normal people would become. And already he's seen a great change in this young man's life because he's simply thinking it's not about who's tough and who's big and who's bad. I'm going to read on. Brethren, I count on myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Forgetting those things which were behind and reaching forth into those, those things which are which were are before. If I could see, it'd be a miracle. Oh, I can see. I press toward the, the mark, the prize. And I really had a strong feeling. There's a lot of people here that you like to be perfect. You like to do better, but you become discouraged with perfection. But you're not ever going to be. Face it. I'm not. She's not. Not a person up here is perfect. I guarantee if I went right here to Luke and I started questioning Luke about his life, he could start telling me the imperfections in his life. Every one of them. But there's something every one of us have got to do. It's forgetting that thing and those things which are behind us. And absolutely being diligent about what we're pursuing, what we're chasing after. I want you to go ahead and start playing. I want you to bow your heads with me.